Hey folks, welcome to the DC Dreamcast. My name is Brian, as always, our Zach and Vince. We're having fun here on a Friday afternoon talking about the DC Comics that are coming out on August 3rd, 2021, starting with Batman number 111, written by James Titan IV, illustrated by Jorge Jimenez. So Vince, I know you have been uh, less up on this run than Zach and I have been in terms of just enjoying it. And this issue seems to somewhat get us to where we've known we've been going for a while. Did this- Yeah, you uh, can say that again. Uh, did this issue like do anything more for you than the other ones did? Not really. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, again, this comic just has all these elements that we've kind of been spending time with over the last six issues or whatever it's been now. And they're just, like you said, they're just kind of getting to this place that we know already know that they're going. And along the way, I I can't tell you there's been any surprises or nuggets or any, anything for me to latch onto that isn't what we already know was going to happen. Um, Usually, you know, thanks to like solicits and the fact that, we have to know about these comics three months before we read them. Um, you know, we, we normally know what the end point is for some of these stories. Cause we know what comes next, but at least, you know, a lot of comic series find things in the cracks or in the periphery to, to kind of throw in there as like added intrigue for us. I don't really see that. I mean, all of these elements here are just kind of doing what's expected. Do you guys disagree? I think that's actually pretty well said. Um, I, I've been struggling to articulate it, and that does a, that does a really nice job of it, um, saying that. But what I'll say is this. I, while there's no almost no surprises here, I do like the stuff that Tanyan is doing here. Like, I think that the Miracle Molly stuff is more compelling than I thought it would be. I think that Ghostmaker and Harley are a fun combination to have together. So I, I don't dislike what the comic is doing, it's just that it, it's taking so damn long to do it. Zach, do you do you agree or disagree with any of that? I I mostly agree, although I'm probably the one who's liking this the most out of the three of us. I like really like this a lot. Um, the so the the thing the thing that I think has hurt this arc in particular has, and we've talked about this before, is the the opening scarecrow sequences in every single issue which like absolutely do not need to be there and really take away kind of like vince was saying from the ending of this arc or or the i assume this is the kind of the end of this arc it seems like we're going into fear state after this um but really kind of takes away from the ending because you always know like like vince alluded that it was going to end with scarecrow in arkham um i don't think that those little opening montages served any purpose at all. Um, I think maybe we could have had one in the very first issue and then never again. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think that that was necessary. And I think it actually detracts from the, the arc a lot. That said, I love the unsanity collective characters. They, they are just like so visually cool and, and like actually cool just in general. Um, I like the trio of uh, Batman, Ghostmaker, and Harley 
a lot. Um, and um, I, I like the mechanics of everything that's happening. You know, we talked, I think, in the last issue about how um, how this story just in general like makes a lot of sense the way that things the the way that the the villainous machinations are laid out and the way that they're executed it all makes a lot of sense it's very uh technically well crafted and i think that this arc is going to read really well in trade um it does kind of suck that it's taken is this is batman twice monthly or is it just monthly uh, I think it's just monthly. I I think Justice League was yeah. only twice monthly for a period. I don't, I don't think okay. this continuing. I think they're trying to keep things mostly monthly. Okay, yeah. So it's taken you know six months worth of issues to to get this to get to this point, and that's just you know for better or worse the like handicap of of monthly comics where you maybe get two arcs a year, three if you're lucky, um, and. Yeah, I think I think this will read really great in trade. The art is fantastic. Um, all of that insanity collective stuff I mentioned, um, the scarecrow stuff towards the end of the issue, where he's like this big cosmic eldritch being of horror that that peace, peacemaker is seeing. Oh, crap, peacekeeper. Um, and yeah, it's it's technically just a, I think a really good comic. I think it's the best. Like the tie-in run continues, in in my opinion, to be the best Batman has been in a long time. I don't necessarily disagree with any of that. I, I just maybe this is gonna have a uh, short attention span, attention short attention span, addled brain. But like, I just wanted this to get here a little bit sooner. Mm-hmm. That isn't saying I didn't enjoy the issues. It just seems like especially with those scarecrow teases every issue that's just just seems redundant yeah yeah and i mean i did catch up on most of this like last month so yeah it wasn't as stretched out for me sure um now i actually a confession here i totally forgot to read the ghostmaker backup (laughs) anything of note happened in the ghostmaker backup no no but the art is really good still that Ricardo Lopez Ortiz, he's a talent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also, I think that it says the end that this is concluding in the Batman annual in uh, November. Right. So I presume this is the end of this backup. Yeah. At least for now. I would think so, yeah. Which I don't think, November solicits haven't happened yet, have they? No, they will happen at the end of August. Right, yeah, so... We know there's a Batman annual coming. I wonder if it's going to be all Ghostmaker or if that'll just be one of the stories in it. It it's wouldn't hard. surprise me if a lot of times like your your backups end as annuals. And, yeah. And that's just the whole story. Yeah. I think isn't isn't something similar happening with the Midnighter backup and Yes, yes. Uh, I don't believe it's an action annual. I believe there's a because that would just had the action annual, which was the um, House yes. of L. But there's something like that. There's there's an issue like that happening. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let let's. Well, can I say right. one more thing about Batman? Of course you can. So, something that occurred to me in this issue that I, I found really funny, and I, again, it's probably a product of just the way that monthly comic storytelling has to happen. But um, it's funny to me that you know Mayor Nakano or whatever came in on this like promise of uh 
we're we're, we're going to stop the vigilante menace and we're going to put a lockdown on crime, whatever. And like, he's not been on the job for a month and Gotham is like as bad as it's ever been. It's like this <laughs> humongous, like, like it's as it's as bad as it's ever been, and he's like, I I'm a I'm a strong man, you know, <laughs> like like he hasn't done. I know that's that's because like that's where the magistrate stuff is going, right? But it's the whole time all I could think of was you know, sleepy Nakano can't take care of his city. <laughs> uh, no, he would he would have some sort of terrible one eyed pun. Yeah, you call, you call him Blinky Nakano or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Something like I don't know. Is even that clever? I <laughs> it's eye patch not gonna know. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, all right. Let's move on to Crush on Lobo number three, written by Mariko Tamaki, illustrated by Amanke Nahuelpan. So I feel like the first issue of this, uh, Zach, you were still on leave when we did it, but Vince and I really enjoyed the first issue. I feel like the second issue just kind of rehashed a lot of the stuff from the first issue, but this issue sort of does what I, I guess, what maybe we expected the second issue to do, which is to get Lobo and Crush together. And I don't think that the twist that happens here is like the most surprising thing in the world, but I think it was really well executed. And I think it makes for a more fun like the the plot is more fun than I thought it was going to be because of how well executed that one little switcheroo was there. Um, Zach, what did you think of this issue? Um, I'm, I mostly liked it. Um, I, I thought there were, um, I thought the, the twist was, you know, it, like, like you said, it wasn't particularly surprising, but it, it, it was fun. Um, I, the thing I liked most about this issue was um, just some of the like the jokes, the running gags, and the background things that that um, were in the art. You know, we, we have this uh, kind of talking head sequence where Crush and Lobo are, are having their meeting, and um, in the background we have this uh, this fight that breaks out uh, between one of the other like. Uh, parent uh, child uh, meetups and then that turns into a whole big prison brawl and that kind of I think helped make what would have been an otherwise like pretty static and visually uninteresting section uh, be a, a little bit more interesting um, I particularly loved like the gag about the uh, the praying mantis family and the, yes. and the like payoff for that at the end I thought that that was pretty pretty well done um so yeah, I, I definitely liked this better than the last issue. Vince, what about you? I loved this issue actually. Um, I, I was, yeah, I was, I was just really pleased with the way that everything kind of played out in the plot here. Um, I think the art continues to be like incredibly playful and fun. Um, I'm enjoying these flashbacks to uh, Crush, kind of like uh messing up with with her girlfriend um i I think it's pretty it's pretty good tongue-in-cheek stuff you know oh she missed a date because she was kidnapped by aliens um that's that's played pretty well um and the the bit where uh where like she goes to see lobo and you know you know the whole time that that lobo is going to pull something that he's being disingenuous and that 
that he's going to pull something and, and that's going to get him out somehow. And still, even knowing that, I think the way Tamaki writes it, um, it it's, it's, it's written in a really nuanced, almost heartbreaking kind of way. Cause like you can, you can imagine that there's a, there's a changed man there, even though, you know, there's not like, it's just really well written, I think. And um, the, the way that that plays out is kind of, it's one of those things where it's like a car wreck you can see coming and, and that makes it fascinating, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. What did you guys think that the uh, the twist with Lobo essentially, uh, you know, swapping places with Crush? Did either of you see that coming? Well, yeah, one, it's kind of what I just said, like one way or another, but yeah. like, I know what you mean by that, but I felt that that, that twist was better executed than I thought it was going to be, I guess. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, I thought that even though it was, it was a situation where you kind of knew ultimately what the outcome was, it was executed so well that it was still somewhat of a surprise when it happened. Yeah, sure. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't. I guess I didn't know that it was like a completely foregone conclusion that he was pulling a bait and switch because I, I thought they, you know, may have been doing a bit of a space dolphin Lobo thing where maybe he really was drinking the Kool-Aid for now. And then later down the line, there would be a, the rug would be pulled out. Um, so, I mean, I, like I said, I wasn't particularly surprised, but um, at the same time, I think that the, the twist worked well, you know, so. Yeah, I agree. Any other notes on this issue before we move on? Mm, All right. I don't think so. All right. So let's, let's jump over to um, Green Lantern number five, written by Jeffrey Thorne, illustrated by Tom Rainey and Marco Santucci. So, I thought for a second here that I had missed an issue of Green Lantern because with this issue starting with <laughs> um, with the Sinestro stuff and with Kelly away from Oa, did we see any of that? Did we see Kelly leave Oa? Yeah, I thought, yeah. So, but, but yeah. I thought I feel like I still felt like this was. I, I guess I just it felt like it was I had missed something between this part. Um, but once I got acclimated to that sort of setting, I continued to like the the non John Stewart part of this book quite a bit. Um, we'll talk about the John Stewart part in a, in a minute. But Vince, what did you think of the the Kelly and Sinestro section? Yes, I I loved that bit. I I think that I think that side of 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 this comic is really good. Um, I think you know we we also get to see Jess back. Um, well, we, we don't, the reader is not supposed to know that's Jess, but I think the reader is supposed to know that's yes, Jess. Yes, but, we're supposed to know. Uh, I, I, when I interviewed Jeffrey Thorne about this book, he was very mad that that got leaked. I don't know how it could be, it wasn't necessarily leaked though, it was like solicited. Yeah, well, he, he just means he was not happy that that was solicited. Essentially, it was also it was also a plot point in future uh, future state. Yeah. Well, yes, that is also true. <laughs> that, um, yeah, that's also I, true. I, I mean, look, we all know it's Jess, but but you know, it's uh, 
I think they were hoping there'd be question if it was Jess or not. <laughs> okay, well, his, his, he can take that up with the marketing department or whatever. Sure, yeah. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I I love what he's got going on with the with the Green Lantern, uh, Korrigar, Jessica Cruz's Yellow Lantern side of things. Like I think Simon in this like uh, Robo Mech Green Lantern suit thing it's it's just it's so different and fun while still incorporating lots of the uh, mythos that surrounds the green lanterns and the, and the various uh elements that come with the character i think like this is the side of things that totally nails um taking those concepts and refreshing them you know compared to the the, the john stewart stuff where it it kind of leaves those green lantern elements in the lurch a bit. Um, I'm really invested in like what's going on with Kelly and her making these big constructs of all the different green lantern characters that she's met. Like, I think that's a very cool idea. It played out very interestingly uh, visually. Um, the narration with Sinestro was really good. I, I felt like it was, it was really well written and it kind of pulls the reader along in a way that, you know, sometimes narration just gets in the way and you don't even, you almost just want to skip it entirely, but you're afraid you're going to miss something. But I felt like for this, the narration was written in such a way that, that the, the, the prose was fun to read too. Um, so yeah, I thought, I thought this half of the issue was a, a home run as, as it has been. Zach. Oh yeah, I, I've loved this stuff. This this was very good. I think um, it, it, on my side of being pedantic about things, um, I thought it was really funny. I feel like this is like a recurring thing in in Green Lantern comics is whether or not the costumes are like real clothes or like constructs. <laughs> Sucks, yeah, and, and this falls on the side of their real clothes because we see Sinestro get dressed, um, but um that's just a small dumb thing i really like this a lot um it it's just like it's just really cool and 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 interesting and different from what we've gotten from green lantern comics uh for a long time now i i really liked the jess design the yellow lantern jess design um the yeah like you mentioned the bit with simon and the green lantern iron man suit was good um the stuff with kelly is interesting i um i i really like this side of things a lot and i really i'm glad that it got uh kind of top billing this time yeah i i think that the i i was thinking about that top billing question right like is it a do you think that we would feel differently about the John Stewart story if it was always being led off by something we really enjoyed? Because I hated the John Stewart thing less this week than I have in, in issues past. Yeah, I, I like that it's not not as much time is spent on it. It's a little bit more concise, right? Um, and it kind of brings you back to incorporating the Green Lanterns a bit. Yeah. Yes. I mean, part of why I enjoyed this one more is because I feel like this actually did something and it, you know, it, it leads you to looking at where the story might go from there. Right. Um, 
the problem with the John Stewart section beyond anything else is just I do not like Tom Rainey's art. Mm-hmm. It is really, really not pleasant to look at uh, for me. And maybe I'm being extra harsh on it, but just every page I feel like looks worse and worse. Yeah, I didn't mind it as much this time for some reason. I don't, I don't know why. I think maybe, like, maybe this is more on the coloring side. But it made me, you know, the last few issues have all been set on this planet, which is very orangeish red. The people are all kind of colored or- orangeish red. It's just a very like red comic, and it, it's just like not that appealing but then like the later pages they you know they go into space they go back to um the the green lantern outpost here and and it's just more visually diverse i guess like the colors are much more they pop a lot better Mm -hmm. i think it generally looks better in the latter half of the story and so i really just think that like you know the setting and the coloring choices of this preceding arc maybe just didn't do Rainey's art a lot of favors that that's my take I don't know everybody looks do you guys know the car I might have made this comment once before I know I thought it before you know the cover of the David Byrne St. Vincent album where their faces have those like extra bits on them like that's what every face in this fucking comic looks like just (laughs) everyone's face is warped in photoshop for no good reason everyone's lumpy and dumb Mm. yeah yeah, I don't know. I I'm. I actually like the way that he draws it, the like alien, like humanoid aliens. I I think his like. His like John Stewart like always has a gigantic head, um, but I think like Kilowog looks good, and I don't know. I don't I don't hate the art the way that you do, Brian. But, but I, I wish I didn't. Say- I I don't I don't like being the guy who's just like this art is shit. But it I really really just like this art. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's the best fit for this. And the other thing is like to, to echo what Zach said about the coloring kind of being samey throughout this or a little boring. I think that's true. I also just think when, when they're not, when they're not doing explicitly green lantern stuff or are in an, explicitly green lantern type setting i know this seems really superficial to say but it just doesn't feel like green lantern to me so like when he's on this planet and he's not really in the role of a green lantern it feels like i'm reading some other comic you know and and when you when you look at the rest of the comic that's steeped in this green lantern lore and that stuff is it feels so much better than this to me or, or or more interesting. I just can't I can't get invested in this in the same way. Um it kind of cre- it kind of creates this bias. I kind of feel um I kind of feel like a fanboy saying this because it makes it sound like I just want to see a character in his costume, you know. <laughs> but but what I'm but what I'm saying is like when it's when it's happening right next to a story that you are really invested in. It, it just comes off much worse by comparison by not having the elements that you're interested in, it, in it at all, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I can't be invested in this other story when 
everything else surrounding the Green Lantern Corps is so much more interesting to me. I just want to spend time with that. And I want John to get back there too. Um, that said, this was the best issue so far of that stuff too, because by the end it does dovetail with um, Kilowog and Salak and um, what they've got going on. So, yeah. 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 You know, uh, it, it's, I've been trying to think about this book in a different way. And I feel like, so Zach, you, you've expressed some uh, fondness in the past for the Greg Pak action comics run where Superman was like slightly depowered during that. And I feel like this is trying to do what that run did, which is to tell a John Stewart story, not a Green Lantern story, right? There's a difference there, right? Instead of talking about the hero, you're talking about the man. And I, again, I appreciate that idea, but I just think that this is, this isn't really telling a John Stewart story either. It's telling a story of John Stewart, not the Green Lantern. Like it's talking about the lack of, Green Lantern ring, not who the guy is as like a human being or as a as a person or whatever. So I just feel like this isn't working because not only are you taking the most interesting part of any Green Lantern story, the ring, out of it, you're also not really focusing on the character. You're just focusing on the character trying to get back to where he was. I don't know if that makes any sense or not. Yeah, I guess so. I, I, uh, I don't know. I, anytime, maybe, yeah, maybe this isn't fair because like you said, you know, I admittedly really do like the stories where Superman kind of gets depowered. I think they're kind of interesting, but I think when you take away a Green Lantern's ring for a long period of time, it kind of gets rid of the the thing that I like about reading Green Lantern comics. And I, yeah, Depowered Green Lanterns is not that interesting to me. And again, I think there's a way to tell a limited story in that setting that is good, but this is not that. This is already too much of this. Yeah. All right, let's, um, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're gonna talk about the most anticipated book of all time, Suicide Squad, Get Joker number one. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Klaus' Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow and iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back talking about Suicide Squad Get Joker, number one, written by Brian Azzarello, illustrated by Alex Maleev. Last week on the show, we were talking about why Checkmate was so delayed. And in reading this issue, I wonder if... Uh, Maleev had to stop doing Checkmate to illustrate this series first. And if that's the case, I'm even madder that Checkmate was delayed <laughs> because this is not good. 
Don't you think it should have been called Suicide Squad Get Jokey? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Absolutely. It 100%. Yes. So it'd be like Get Shorty, but Get yeah. Jokey. That would have been good. I'm sorry, guys. I am just mesmerized by something that Vince just put on Farmers Only. Of <laughs> There is some, some Florida fair at the sci-fi and pop fest that is oh. a meet and greet for the amazing Dan Lee. It's the guy who looks like Stanley, and I, I can't I can't look away from this. I'm sorry. I, I I know we're talking about a shitty comic, but I what the what the hell is this? <laughs> I love I love that it says you can meet Dan Lee and there's no there's no <laughs> explanation on the poster that it's a fake Stan Lee. Like right. it's almost as if but they there- expect people to think that that's stanley right well i saw another one i saw another ad that had him like pictured with a bunch of like marvel characters and underneath it just said like he looks like stanley oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow that's that's great and, and to be fair this guy doesn't look that much like stanley like <laughs> he's dressed like stanley he's wearing stanley like sunglasses yeah but he, he's not this isn't the most like I wouldn't hire this guy to play Stan Lee. At, this at is more. Lee. This is more interesting than Get Jokey. Yeah, it is. It is. No, this is like there's a Tim and Eric character named Billy Crystals, and it's uh, a <laughs> it's it's like a, a a Latino man who vaguely looks like Billy Crystal, and they dress him in like Billy Crystal's like schlub, schlubby clothes and hat, like the classic uh-huh. hat he always baseball cap, you know? Yeah. And yeah, like he kind of looks like Billy Crystal. Um, that's that's what Dan Lee is apparently. Wow. Um, anyway, get jokey. Yeah, this yeah. book sucks. Um, that is a very good point you made, Brian. About about if if Malieve was taken away to do this book, I guess I'm I'm hoping he's well compensated for for doing a vaguely Suicide Squad movie, but not really tie in. It's not. It doesn't tie it, into the movie at not all. Not at all. No, no, not, at all. not even to- like remotely the same characters. No. no. Nor like, does it tie in to the Task Force Z series that is starting in October that features Jason Todd. Like it's different than that too. Yeah, but I I feel like this is I feel like this is coming out to be somewhat synergistic with the movie. Sure, it's, it's there, more there, Suicide Squad content. Yeah, right. Which three three comic books this week were basically suicide squad comics so um you know what blows my mind what confirmation that brian azarello just really likes the character plastique <laughs> what what was plastique in futures in baby oh man yeah. it, with the exact same costume even yeah wow I, I, there's a part of me, bros, that wants to reread uh, Future's End, and I don't know if my brain can handle it. Um, mm. I don't want to reread it, but I am looking forward to revisiting it so, someday. Yeah. For some un, unnamed For project? For some un- unknown reason, yeah. Who, yeah. Who was, so that was Azarello, Lemire, Jurgens, and Giffen? Was it, Jer- was it Jurgens? Yes, it was definitely Jurgens and Giffen, yeah. yes. Yeah. What a yeah. bizarre combo. I remember Jeff Lemire saying that uh, that Jurgens and Giffen were like your kindly grandfather, and Azarello was your asshole uncle. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I'm pretty sure no one has ever s- spoken more truth than that. 
Um, here's the one good thing about this issue. Alex Maleev can draw. And there, there, there are some really nice visuals here, even if he has cast Wanda Sykes as, um, as Amanda, <laughs> uh, uh, what's her name? Waller. Waller. Okay, so if, if, if Wanda Sykes is Amanda Waller, then who's Larry David? <laughs> uh, in this comic, let's see. I, I, I guess... Toy Man? He, Toy Man? He, he could be Toy Man or he could be the mustachioed like uh, goon guy. Um, but I think Toy Man makes more sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Richard Lewis as the Joker. Yes. Um, Jeff Garland is wild. A wild dog. Oh like, boy! I stole the Capitol. Like, uh, <laughs> I can't believe that that's in here. Oh, dude! Uh, that I mean, I has to. By been, the way, that has to have been put in later, right? There's no way that was in the original script. Well, this was like a project that was. Was this delayed, repurposed, something? Yes, I'm sure. So. I'm sure it was. Um, Maybe not. I, I don't know, but yeah. I did see that the that the creators of Wild Dog have denounced what uh, Azarello was doing here with him. So good. It sucks. Yeah. yeah, it does. Yeah, it does suck. It's it's pretty stupid. It's really stupid. Can we also agree that this is the worst Suicide Squad team of all time? Oh, yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. But also, I actually don't hate Jason Todd as a member of the Suicide Squad. I kind of like that. No. Have you read the solicit for Task Force Z yet? No, but I, I understand he's in there. So basically that the government has a um, has found like a drug that can bring people back from the dead. And so he is leading a team of resurrected Gotham villains as like a secondary suicide squad. <coughs> mm. And he's leading it because he has been dead himself. And so he like understands. So it's not my favorite comic I've ever heard about, but I think it's actually a more intriguing premise than I thought just by hearing the title. Sure. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, Harley Quinn is, you know, is Harley Quinn throughout this. Everybody else is just, I, I, don't, I don't even know. I I, I, I I, want, look, I think our listeners know this, but I want to just reinforce this. We want all these comics to be good. It's much better to talk about a good comic than a bad comic. We're not reading this just to shit on it. But I feel like there's almost nothing redeeming about the story in this comic. Yeah, there's very little. The, also, the, do, I felt. Do you feel like it's trying to be timely with like the Russia stuff too? Oh, that's. It's trying to do a lot of that kind of stuff. It's trying yeah. to be. It's trying to be referential, in a way that is both like dates it, but also. I don't know. Like the Joker is like is like. Uh, uh, doing like a clockwork orange thing in this which i feel yeah. like is the most like played out um thing to be doing with joker and then yeah like you said zach like there's there's references to russia there's references to the storming of the capital but none of them it's all everything is kind of treated like a joke 
I don't know. Azarello has this way of writing where where he adds that stuff in that that you know like a like a a, a good writer when they do that stuff it kind of gives meaning or or flavor or layers to whatever he's dealing with and I feel like everything for Azarello um in his like superhero adjacent comics anyway if ever he does that kind of stuff it's just kind of tossed off as like a joke or something or something that's meant to shock you know um wild dog saying he took a shit on nancy pelosi's desk or whatever just just comes uh uh, comes across as trying to exist for shock value and nothing else yeah there's no story reason for that to have happened right like it's not like it's not like it changes wild dog's perception for nobody gives a shit about wild dog this isn't like it's remaking a character that people are going to suddenly you know be be thrilled with the last time i really care about wild dog was when he was on arrow a couple of years ago and uh he was uh he was in cave carson as a cybernetic eye yes i'm sorry he was and he was excellent in that my apologies that's uh that's a very good comic as well this just feels like a, a really like you were saying, Vince, this is this is shock for shock's sake, and it blows. And I, the one of the things while we were reading this, or while I was reading it, it was that you know this is a black label book, and we we all commented about this in the chat that um, initially the the swearing is all censored, like Jason's giving this narration, and there's times when he's cursing and it's censoring it, and I thought like, oh, that's that's interesting this is supposed to be a black label title and then when he gets when he gets to the suicide squad or the task force x team they're all swearing it's motherfuck this and motherfuck yeah. that <laughs> and then and then he's allowed to swear too for a little bit i thought like oh okay well well because he's coming from like the the non-black label side of things he's not going to be able to swear but then no he he does as well and I don't know. Like I, I'm torn on that because I think like it's, it is a cute idea. Like I, I do kind of think it's, it's a little playful to say like, Oh, these, the, the suicide squad is more mature and hard edge. So they get away with swearing. Jason Todd comes from this, like, uh, you know, milk toast Batman era where you couldn't do that kind of thing. So he can't, he's not allowed to swear, you know, on the one hand, I think that's kind of funny, but on the other hand, then like, there's just so much of it in the back half. It, it almost tries to make up for lost time in the first half of the book. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like they're, they're trying to like show you that Jason has been infected by the suicide squad, but like swearing isn't a big deal. (laughs) You know, he's already murdered people. So it seems like it's maybe not exactly the, uh, again, it's only for shock value versus an actual, like, um, thematic element of the of the piece you know exactly maybe this is like unfair and and unnecessarily cynical but i almost read it as like maybe that first half of the script was done at another point when the book was going to be another thing and then it morphed into this black label get jokey thing and the the back (laughs) half was like written much later and they just didn't go back and undo that stuff (laughs) you're probably not wrong yeah that would be, that would be even worse to know it's not a stylistic choice. Yeah. Guys, there's two more issues of this. 
Well, we we don't necessarily have to talk about it. Oh, we won't. I'm just I'm just acknowledging that there are two more issues of this. So uh, Zach had to go back to his home planet, but Vince and I are here to finish up our conversation about Justice League number sixty six, written by Brian Michael Bendis, illustrated by Phil Hester. Can we establish right off the bat this is the good Phil Hester? Uh there's always Phil Hester's always good. I feel like recently there was a bad Phil Hester. Remember that? Uh, Maybe like a year ago or six months ago, there was a bad Phil Hester. If there was, I don't know what it would have been on. I don't either. I remember specifically us commenting on the bad Phil Hester. But no, Phil Hester is a delight here. Uh, This is really good. So I have a couple of questions about this run kind of over the last few issues. I had to binge, I guess, the last four issues of Justice League Mm -hmm. before this because I had been behind. Did we know Lois Lane had a brother? Yeah, that popped up, I think, in the last issue. I, I don't mean before just. I, I mean before this oh. book. I mean, if so, I don't know when that would have been. Like, certainly not anytime recently have they. Unless it was part of the last bit of Bendis' Superman run that I fell off of. Oh, I don't know. But yeah, I, I don't remember there being a Lois Lane's brother uh, character. Obviously, there's Lucy Lane, her sister. Yeah. But I, I, I was not aware of, of this brother character, um, who's apparently a part of Checkmate, or at least has Checkmate business with Oliver Queen. Okay. Um, at least as we get from, the, from these issues. Um, overall, I, I'm actually enjoying this Justice League run more than I thought I would. I think this is more or less the good Bendis. It's, of course, a little decompressed for my taste, but it's not not offensively so. Um, I love when the Justice League has to call in some backup members. So I mm-hmm. love seeing, you know, Blue Devil was there and Captain Adam, and uh, it was nice to see the Wonder Twins getting in the action. And uh, so, you know, so overall, I, I have been enjoying this, but I, I still think that this is... Um, this still feels slightly out of step with the rest of the DC universe. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, it does. I I don't feel that in the same way as, as I do with the checkmate stuff. Oh, of like course I, not. No, I, no, I do no, think yeah. like, I think if you squint, you can imagine this taking place at the same time as everything else. There may be a contradiction here and there, but if there is, I don't know. I don't know what it would be. I wouldn't be able to pick it out without really thinking about it. Um, the big thing about this is um, <clears throat> it does this thing that Bendis does where when he's ready to, to make something feel really serious, he destroys the, the team, the team's headquarters. He scatters everybody <laughs> around and he spends most of an issue uh with the characters looking for one another amongst the rubble. He does this in like his Marvel stuff. Like this is, that is what he does when it's time to get serious. Um, I just think, I don't know. I, I feel like I've read so much Bendis now that I can just uh, uh, know when all the notes are coming and, sure. and he's going to try to hit the same notes over and over again. Um, that said, I, I do like, I like Hippolyta as part of this team. I like Black Adam as part of this team. So kind of the two unconventional members of the Justice League right now are are, are keeping me somewhat vaguely interested in this. Um, 
I feel like they have the most unique perspective uh, in this comic. I think so there's this thing towards the end that happens where something called the United Order comes in and it's led by like a Thanagarian or Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, you know, and there's all these aliens behind him. Is that supposed to be, is that something new? Yeah. So that, that was introduced a couple of issues ago. That is essentially the United Planets like honor guard. It seems like. And that's not, that's not been a thing before. No. Um, from what I gather, that is supposed to be like the very distant precursor to the Legion of Superheroes. Sure. Okay. I don't dislike that that as a concept. I think it's actually pretty fun to have that group around. Mm-hmm. It's It just seems like it's maybe... It's funny. I feel like Bendis comics do do two things a lot, which is that they rush you through things that are really interesting and important and then it drags out conversations for no reason and so i feel like another 10 panels explaining that group or introducing us to members of that group would have gone a lot longer of a way than having like two issues in a row of ollie and diana fighting about checkmate stuff Uh uh-huh right right um yeah Overall, though, I, I, I do think that this run is is going better than I thought it was going to. Do you agree with that or no? I'm I'm definitely my interest is definitely peaked with this United Order stuff. And. And the, the like I said, the president, the presence of Hippolyta and, and, and Black Adam. I'll add Naomi into that mix. Yeah. Of, I like what Bendis is doing with her. I just feel like, and I know it's it's self-serving because Bendis created the character, but I, I feel like in general, we haven't had, like what was the last time the Justice League had a quote, new character in it? Um, Yeah, that's a good point. It's been a really long time. And I, I feel like, you know, when, when Morrison had JLA, there was um, Zoriel and there was uh, Aztec. And there were like there were these characters that were introduced, like to the DC universe as a member of the Justice League. Now, obviously, uh, Naomi had a series before this, and then she was part of Young Justice. But this just this feels like a really, um, you know, to, to use like uh, professional wrestling uh, terminology, th- she's getting a push here, right? Like this is this is DC, or at least Bendis saying like this character deserves to be in the spotlight and is working things so that the character can be in the spotlight. And while I, you know, she's maybe not my favorite character in the history of comics. I just like that. It's a new, a new character. There's, there's, there's somebody as part of a team that isn't somebody you'd expect to be part of a team or an analog. Like, you know, we've seen plenty of times Captain Marvel Shazam on the justice league. So having black Adam, black Adam on there. In a way, it's just like it's just it's a way of, of turning the table to the expectation of having Captain Marvel on the team or mm-hmm. having Hippolyta there is, you know, a tweak on having Wonder Woman on the team. Right. So this is a character yeah. that doesn't have a natural analog. And so having them as part of the team just feels fresher than than, you know, than having, uh, you know, Booster Gold on the team for the 10th time or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, now, Justice of the Dark is the the backup in that 
is written by Ram V, illustrated by Sumit Kumar. And this is doing some, some interesting stuff. I have a couple of notes about this, but I want to know what you think of this second backup arc so far. Um, well, I like Sumit Kumar's art quite a bit. Um, it's, it's, it's got that, I think I've said this before about their art, but it's got this very like playful manga-esque style to it. Mm -hmm. um, and I really enjoy that. Also, like they're doing some stuff with the, potentially with the Atlantis mythology mm -hmm. that with Aquaman adjacent stuff, we get to see Tempest in this. Um, and I think that continues what has been a very smart play with, with Aquaman, because if, if he's not going to have his own book and I know that soon enough, he will have at least a mini series. Um, I like that. They've been keeping uh, the Aquaman Atlantis stuff going through these other books. And I think it's interesting to in, incorporate it in kind of an unexpected uh, Avenue, which is the, the kind of dark mystical stuff. Mm -hmm. I think that's a that's a really interesting setting for it that doesn't get enough, you know, that aspect of Atlantis doesn't get enough play, I don't think. And so it, this is, it's interesting to see it here. Yeah, I agree with that very much so. You know, one of the things that Aquaman is quick to say whenever anybody, like, questions him as a, uh, as a leader, he says, like, I protect three quarters of the world, right? Because there's so much water. So by that logic, like if there's magic on the surface, there's probably magic underwater too, right? And if there's monsters in the surface, probably monsters underwater too. And so it just, it allows you to have, to, to give the sort of each, if done properly, everything that happens in DC Comics can also happen in Atlantis, just tweaked a little bit. And so to have, to have a focus on the darker, more mystical elements of uh, Atlantis is really smart. And I, I very much appreciate that. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I did want to say too, I think it's very cool that this is an entirely uh, Indian creative team and that they are getting, uh, they're getting to use uh, Rondir Singh, who is an Indian DC character who has not been used in a long time. So I think it's I think it's it's very cool that uh, you know that, that they're, they're they're able to do that. Yeah, I, um, that's a good thing. It, it, diversifying DC on and off the page is a positive thing all the time. Uh, yeah, so we got that. What else did I want to say about this? So this this like knight character who is showing up in this book. This is not shining knight, but it's kind of shining knight, right? Um, I mean, it's not Shining Knight. I know it's not, I, it, it, <laughs> it, 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 but, but isn't it, it, isn't it odd that there's this character that's essentially the same origin as Shining Knight? Like a time displaced member of the Knights of the Round Table? Yeah, well, now I wonder. And specifically a non-male night of their own table right which you know depending on which version of shining night you're talking about there's a, a non-binary right exactly um yeah now i don't know i might have to oh i might have to go back and read maybe it was in the previous 
It wasn't. No. Did they ever mention Sir Justin or I forget how I forget if there's a pronunciation for the Justin with the Y. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I I just found that interesting that you know of all of the time periods, and I understand that Merlin and all that, but if you're gonna do all of that, why not just use Shining Knight? There's a perfectly good character waiting for you right there. Yeah, that's well, that's why I think maybe maybe it is, and just I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I have stumped you. Yes. All right. Well, uh, I'm about to stump you again. Because uh, do you have what's coming out next week for us? I do. Yes. Yep. Um, I don't have them in alphabetical order, so God much to my much it. to my chagrin. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got Detective Comics ten forty one, Wonder Woman seven seven seven, The Joker number six, uh, Infinite Frontier four, Batman Urban Legends six, Future State Gotham four. Um, I think that's it what i am batman number zero that's the that's the um jace fox one but yep. that's mm-hmm. was that was that already digital stuff or i forget where that shift happens yeah right? I, I don't know if this is the end of of the digital stuff or if this is now uh or if this is now the new story i think the news i think this is still the digital first but i'm not positive okay yeah uh, and then the only other thing, which we're not going to be reading it, and it's it's very funny to me, uh, <laughs> Pennyworth, number one. Why are we not going to be reading that, uh, Vincy? Well, because if none of us have checked out Pennyworth on Epics. <laughs> uh, speak for yourself, bro. <laughs> you have? No, of course not. Oh. Um, uh, <clears throat> the one thing I'll say, though, is one Gideon is on art. I know that's what I'm saying. I, I think it might be worth a cursory read of the first issue. I think they should just put Juan Getty on them something better. <laughs> well, I mean, that's obviously the better solution, but we can't make that happen right now. Uh, or can we? We can by using our immense power of the podcast to, to not us. review Pennyworth number one. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, if you need to get in touch with two thirds of us, we're on Twitter. Uh, Zach has tweeted from his home planet. He is at Wilker Fox. I am at Brian is an app. And if you need Vince, he is trying to get one of his friends to give him their password to Epic so he can catch up on Pennyworth <laughs> so he can read this issue with the full knowledge of 20 episodes of that show. Yeah, I'll be totally lost if I don't know the backstory of no, you, Alfred Pennyworth. Totally lost. I don't even know how you're having this conversation right now. So thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you next week. Bye. But before I snap, we're going to say something uh, that I can line up our, our voices with. So for, like, first, it's like, I'll say doe, Vince will say Ray, and Zach will say me, something like that. Some, like a three-word phrase, just so that I can line them up in case the lengths are different again. Uh-huh. So what's, what, should, what should our secret phrase be? Uh, is there a DC-related one we could... Uh... That's what I'm trying to think of, yeah. What's, uh... Uh, the D.O.C.